is it's not that hybrid working is suddenly changing the way we do business. I think the key is that a hybrid is becoming the norm where it used to be 5% of the staff. Now with COVID, everybody had to learn how to do it in, in one day or a few weeks. Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone who has chosen to tune in to my podcast. And this is Denise Cooper, Closing the Gap. We are here to help you understand where you are now, where you want to be, and what are the steps that you need to take to close the gap. Because we're all about helping you manifest the future that you want with the culture, workplace, and the leadership that really gives you the results that you want. That's what I'm about. That's what these conversations are for. And I hope everyone learns something about that. One of the things that as we sit here looking forward into 2022, it's time for us to really ask the question, is there going to be a new normal? Or is this a time that we really need to take what we've learned from the past and project to the future in a new and exciting way? And as appealing as that might be, change always brings about growth. Growth always brings about pain. We feel uncertain. We have to go into the places where if you've heard me before, I talk about the messy middle, which is really muddy. And it is that time when in our heads, the stories that we talk about sometimes take us off point. And particularly so if we are not very good at change management and crisis management. Well, my guest today is an expert in that area. Glenn Watson, who's a senior global executive, has been working for a number of years with a diverse set of companies, both European and American to help them understand how to open up globally and to develop a conscious mindset around the areas of change management, crisis management, business development, and general management. We talk about these terms as if they're out there and these ideas, but grounding them takes someone like Glenn, who is a creative thinker, a consummate innovator, critical and thoughtful strategist, who is able to motivate and help driven leaders be the kind of leader that they want to transform and support them through the process of business transformation and strategic business development. Our conversation today is really about, are we at a time where we need to not think about the next level of where we've been, but to really say, based on our past, how do we move forward in new ways And how do we get through the uncertainty that often is brought about when we talk about change? So with that, I am so excited. Glenn, how you doing? Doing fine. I have to say, you just gave me goosebumps with that introduction. I don't think anybody has ever introduced me the way you just did. I was like, is she talking about me? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. 
No, it is my honor. And I, you know, I tell my clients, I tell anybody who'll listen that the people who choose to come onto the show really are generous thinkers. They are generous in their spirit because they, they give the best that they have and they do it with not just generosity, but a love for helping other individuals be better. And so, you know, I'm, I'm excited that you're going to share your wisdom with my audience so that they can really get this nuance thing going. And, and just for those, I met Glenn through another friend of ours, and he was on another podcast video, and he was talking about how pre-pandemic, we always had these issues around scaling and global and change and energy and how we connect. And that's the stuff that I want to share today. But before we dig into that, Glenn, why don't you tell your story? so that people get to know you like I'm getting to know you. Well, I'm going to try to be brief because at my age, it could be a long story. (laughs) So, yeah, personally, um, I am uh, a Belgian guy married to an American living in Spain with two kids, one studying to be a doctor in Belgium and one working in Ireland. So that gives you a little bit of the global scope of my personal life. I'm also one of those crazy people that finds it enjoyable to do Ironmans in my free time. So that Ooh. gives you another aspect of my, my thinking and my, my being. And I think one of the most, the red lines through my life, whether it's professional, but actually in my education, is that I've, I've been raised in a very entrepreneurial family. Raised in a restaurant, learning the, the tricks of the trade by serving people. And, and I always say my mom's the best salesperson I've ever met, but really at the basic level, learning to communicate and deal with people was, was very helpful. And, and that really led to my professional life where I've been a serial entrepreneur. I, I started up four companies and I've worked for big companies setting up their business units as an intrapreneur, as they coin it, and working on different levels from startup, scale-up, global organizations. So seeing also different perspectives on working together from very informal to very formal and very process driven. And I would say the last 10 years have really been about before it became a hybrid working, (laughs) before (laughs) it was coined as being the next best best thing, already being involved in that for for more than a decade, especially helping American companies enter the European market in, in all business functions. And so I think with that, it gives you a little bit of a spectrum of where my experience to this specific topic lies on international business and virtual business and hybrid business and digital transformation, etc. Yeah. And and isn't it interesting? I love the fact that, and this is what drew me in the first place, you know, we've been doing this hybrid thing 10 years or more, you know, yeah. and it doesn't feel like it. It somehow it just feels like we just figured out how to do this. Yeah. And yet I do remember decades, couple decades, two decades at 1999, thereabouts, where we started really having conversations in business about how technology was going to change the way we work. And I think we've got, we've kind of hit this intersection of we've done what we always knew to do and just kind of layered it on. And the question is, should we really be changing? What do you think about the future of work? I think the question is, should we be changing? It changed. There's not there's not uh, <laughs> some a way to like, oh, no, I want to go back to the past. I think on the other side, however, we don't have to make it more dramatic than it is. In its essence, hybrid work is working from different locations. As such, we've been doing that 
for a long, long time. I mean, virtual teams are hybrid working teams, right? They work together. I, I remember when I used to work for Barco and I had teams over 17 time zones from Japan to LA and I would travel and my, my teams would be in other regions. And when I was traveling, I would be working in the lounge. And so the, I think the main difference is it's not that hybrid working is suddenly changing the way we do business. I think the key is that hybrid is becoming the norm where it used to be 5% of the staff that had this kind of very flexible way of working. And we got to get to that point in our role over years of experience as we grew to the organization, becoming more and more experienced in doing that. Now with COVID, everybody had to learn how to do it in, in one day or a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I think not that hybrid working is something so new, yeah. but it has become the norm. Yeah. I think that's what's changed. Yeah, it, in the U.S., we it, it's about forty percent of the population at uh, working population that's eligible and probably working hybrid now because mm-hmm. of the pandemic more so. But as I work with retailers, it's interesting because if you have multiple locations, you're still doing it just on a smaller scale. You're not going mm-hmm. country to country or times on mm-hmm. the time zone. But some some retailers actually are doing that. Mm-hmm. And and this idea of how do we create connections through this idea, how do we make sure that the ideas are thought through, that people can execute? Because now you really can. I think one of the big things we have to learn is we really do have to stop assuming that we can watch people work and make sure that they do it. We've got to step back and spend some time thinking about what is the work to be done. And then we've got to find a way to work with people so that they understand it and independently can deliver on that. You've done this for a long time. What are what are some of the things that you've learned as well as because you've been in so many countries and companies? What do we what do we get wrong? That's a multi-layered question. <laughs> I think, well, let's first start with the basics, the, the management perspective of control. Mm-hmm. Management perspectives differ company by company, but also country by country. If we are wanting to control our people then some people will move away. That, that's just what it is. I mean, I think now, now that people have overcome their fear of working from home mm-hmm. and learning to deal with the responsibility of managing their own time and managing their work and bridging that change, as you mentioned, that now has become their new normal and they're very familiar and comfortable with it, forcing people to go back to the office is a recipe for disaster. Of course, it depends on your function. Some functions need to be done in the factory. In the If you're a supervisor of a factory, you obviously need to be at the factories. But that's a smaller component, I think, of the information worker where most of us are. So that's, I think, number one. Companies need to be aware that if they, if they don't accept that there's another way of dealing with people going forward, they will lose people. And the ones that are and enabling the people to be successful and manage their own time will be getting more of the talent, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the next part of your question was about the cultural aspect. I think there's two dimensions here. Number one is the, the, the personal relationship. As human beings, we are sensory beings, and we've learned over the millennia very quickly to interpret if somebody's trustworthy. First impressions, right? We are all... Yeah tweak to do that. 
And with the inhibition or the, 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 the roadblock of virtual communication, that makes it a lot harder mm-hmm. because you don't see the full being. You don't see the body language. I mean, many, many people still don't have the reflex to put on the video when they yeah. have a call. Yeah. Most people sit in front of a screen with only their face instead of the whole stepping backwards and letting people see them and interpreting the validity and the credibility of what they're saying. And so that's a cultural aspect that needs to change to understand how do we bridge that chasm between virtual and and Mm face-to-face. And then the third aspect is the cultural aspect, because some people are very familiar, are doing business in a very process-driven, very, I would say, to the point and goal-oriented way of business, maybe more more rational, thinking about the Germans or thinking about and I mean in the best possible way, that's not a negative thing. I mean, that's a way of doing things, very process data-driven. And some people do it more based on relationships. Think about the French or the Italians who have a more a different way of doing business and need that relationship. So depending on that culture, you will need to find the right approach for, for virtual, but also the mix. When do you use, and that's, the, I think, the main lesson learned, there is a room for both. There is mm-hmm. a need for both. But when do you apply a face-to-face meeting versus a virtual meeting is one that is much more purposefully applied than in the past. We just traveled because one, it was expected of us. Right. And two, it was fun. Right, 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 <laughs> so, right, right, right. Until it wasn't, right? Until it wasn't. So it's interesting because you're talking about it from the idea of more rational or process task-oriented kinds of cultures. And then there's relationship cultures. We have the same here. I would say having lived in the North and the West and the East and the South, you know, if you're in the South, it's, you start the conversation, you start every meeting from a relationship point of view first, then get to task. But if you're from the North, particularly the Northeast, it's always the task first, and then you follow up with the relationship. So there's different assumptions that people have going into the meeting that yeah. oftentimes screws with communication, right? Yeah, ultimately every communication, every relationship is personal. Not everybody is the same in Texas. There are different personalities, but to make it easy, there's, there's different trends, right? I think one of the, one of the most uh, common mistakes I, I see and hear is the American, talks, the, the American talk about the Europeans as if a Norwegian is the same as a Spaniard. But equally so, the Europeans are talking about the Americans as if somebody from New York is the same as somebody from Mississippi. And yeah. it's just not. Yeah. And so there's a, a, it, those, those stereotypes help you kind of understanding how to behave differently. But ultimately, you can get into a very task-oriented Texan equally as you can get to a social New Yorker, right? Mm-hmm. But it gives you a, a kind of a, a, a step into the conversation, kind of helps you along the way. Ultimately, and that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges in the virtual or the, the, the virtual communication or hybrid world is you need to get to know the people. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to virtual meetings, most of the meetings are set up with a task at hand. Mm-hmm. And so we only learn to get to know the people in a professional setting. In order to get the, the task to be efficient and effective, you need to learn to know the people off the record. And so having a virtual social activity might be equally interesting, not because that virtual meeting will get you the task done, but it will make the task that will come 
much more efficient when you actually get there. And so that's one of the things people and companies need to think about. Okay, when do we travel? When do we have a social event, whether it's hybrid or virtual or mixed or only face-to-face? -face? So, but getting the people to connect and trust each other actually statistically leads, as research done, when people or if people know each other better, mm -hmm. their experience of the, the virtual meeting will have a higher degree of satisfaction and a higher degree of result, a better outcome. Mm -hmm. So that's something to certainly look forward in how to, how to make that happen. In your experience, particularly over the last couple of years, or, or maybe it's even more than that, you know, we, we, we talk about change management and group formation, et cetera, from the kind of the norming, storming, mm -hmm. um, performing kind of thing. And so this aspect of, of not having enough relationship in the front end probably makes storming much more interesting. Because as humans, most of us don't like to have conflict. Many leaders are conflict avoidant. But yet, and I don't know that we're really good. It was easier to do strategic planning and project management when we could all get together. Virtually, that's a little bit more difficult because there's just rules of how do you make sure somebody talks or doesn't talk, those kinds of things. Have you seen where the way we storm, the way we analyze or, or debate ideas change in this? And are there some tips that you can offer to help people get through that? One is about the education mm -hmm. on how to meet virtually. Mm -hmm. And one is about technology okay. to use. I think as, as experienced uh, business people now, what we forget is that we've been training ourselves to have face-to-face -face meetings for 5, 10, 20, 25 years, depending on where you are in your organization. It's not something we were able to do when we got into our first role, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of experience on how to do this. With this dramatic shift going to a hybrid, we did not allow our workforce to learn what the right behavior is and how to optimize our behavior for collaboration, for discussion, for sharing, sharing information. And I think that's one of the things that is certainly going to be up in the next few years. Okay. It's how do we, I would say, ex accelerate the learning curve of copying our face-to-face -face meeting experience into a virtual setting. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think most of, the, most of the companies are thinking about a technology solution, not considering the people that actually have to do it. Mm -hmm. So the cultural elements, the personal elements, the training elements. And I think that certainly is something that is critical for success is having the people know how to do this right. Maybe right. in a program versus will it take another 20 years before everybody's fluent. And to be honest, the younger generation is completely fluent in it. I mean, they, mm -hmm. have, they have their smartphones and their tablets and they know how to work with digital content using tactile functions. They know how to FaceTime and Skype and, and Zoom. And it's the older generation, the ones in charge and the, 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 the bigger group of the workforce that is struggling, right? Yeah. So that's number one. I think the second point of that equation is technology. With COVID pushing everybody at home or to the work, to the home office, the pain point has been how do we communicate? Mm -hmm. And technology has solved through UC platform to unified collaboration platforms like Teams and Zoom, how to overcome that. And it was a painful couple of weeks. And now we know what it is and we feel comfortable. 
Many companies, however, believe that, oh, we know what the solution is. Now we're going to go back to the office, at least partially. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need in the meeting room as well. And that's one of the big mistakes. What you need to collaborate, to storm, to exchange ideas is a platform that allows you to interact with digital content. We're not in a meeting room and we, we, share, we share paper documents or we have a poster or we do have a whiteboard or some post-its. It doesn't work in the hybrid world. Right. So you need to allow the meeting room to get to the same sprint change as the home office did. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly something we're going to see in 2022. Some of the most visionary companies have already started in 2021. I can tell you that. Companies that have upgraded thousands of meeting rooms expecting the meeting, the, the people to come back to the office and what will they need to do so mm-hmm. and to be efficient in that new normal with the right training, with the right technology. And maybe one more note, because now we're talking about the meeting room. I think one of the, the other parts is the function, the design and the mm-hmm. structure of the office. Mm-hmm. Offices are not longer or will not longer be Uh, the open platform desk spaces where 200 people sit and work on their computer. Now architects are thinking, okay, if we can do the work at home on our laptops, why do we come to the office? It is to storm. It is to meet. It is to socialize. So what are the creative social spaces we need to make the office valuable, to have the people want to come to the office with a very specific purpose, to overcome the inefficiency of of commuting to have a better experience, to do what? Mm-hmm. And that's what the office needs to be uh, designed for in the future. And I, I hope that answers your question a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, no, no. You, you, you definitely helped us frame from both the technology, but the social interactions part. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes leaders don't always spend time thinking about that as part of how they're going to do that. And, and so the question becomes, do you have tools? Have you talked to people? Are you working with leaders as they're thinking about? Because, you know, there's always the strategic meeting that plans out what we're going to be doing for the next 12 months, three years, whatever that looks like. What are some of the things that you're seeing them embrace on the positive side? You said there's some companies that started thinking about this in 2021 as we're entering 2022. What are they thinking about? How are they doing that? How are they incorporating this idea of the human interaction and the way we think about and the way we gain agreement on ideas? Because not everybody comes to the same agreement at the same time. And so this there's this interaction of, well, if we do these five things, what five things aren't we going to get done? How do we hold people accountable to stay to the five things when everything changes? So this there's this dynamic interplay of the business as we go forward, how how are you helping or what are you seeing out there? Or what are you hearing in terms of helping leaders understand how to rethink how performance actually happens in the workplace? I don't know if I have a clear cut answer to how do leaders engage and monitor their, I mean, specifically around this topic of virtual collaboration or the hybrid workforce. I think there's, of course, there was already a tendency or difference between companies that are more action measuring companies mm-hmm. and those that are more meritocracies and results oriented companies. And I think the main thought I think here is that companies that have already embraced results oriented evaluations 
and performance reviews will have an easier transition than people that are still measuring how many calls a week did you do and how many hours a day did you work. And because honestly, now with people being more flexible and managing their own time, some people might want to work at 10 o'clock in the evening when the kids are in bed and want to take a lunch break or get the kids from school at four to give them to, to help them do their homework. Mm-hmm. While other companies are saying, no, it's an I to five. And even for, for not allowing managers to send out emails anymore after five. I mean, think about that. Not allowing to send any messages anymore. That's the total opposite of flexibility and, and the, the opportunity of hybrid work. Right. right. So I think that's one of the main thing is I think the, the, the companies need to learn to embrace results control or results management instead of input, output versus input management. Okay. I think on the other hand, I think one of the, the most, the, 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 the companies I feel that are most successful are the companies that get going. <laughs> there are too many big companies. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm living it through now with the company. I'm not going to mention any names. But that is such a big organization that it has taken a year. They were one of the first to consider the meeting room of the future. Mm-hmm. And it has taken a year to do testing, to do proof of concept, to get it to different countries. And everybody had their say. And when, when a year ago, when they were testing this product, it was top of the line. Now we are a year later and we have to tell them, you know what? This product is going to be end of life in 12 months. You cannot have a two-year investigative timeline because technology changes every 24 to 36 months. Mm-hmm. And so flexibility is key and flexibility in two ways. My main advice to companies is get your feet wet. Start today. Be agile. Don't try to design the future. Let your your users, your employees, your valued employees use technology, give you feedback and move with them. It's not longer like, I mean, in the 70s, you could say, okay, we're going to do this for the next 10 years. We're going to buy an IBM computer and here we go. It's not that anymore. I mean, things Mm -hmm. change quickly. And so one is get started and ask feedback from your users. And two, it's a never ending story. It's not like, oh, we're going to decide this and then we're good. No, you have to you have to instill a process that is continuously looping back new ideas and feedback and morphing. The critical element from a procurement point of view, and that is really absolutely critical, is that you look at the total value of a product. I love mm-hmm. Simon Sinek and his idea about the infinite gain. Yeah. Most companies are looking at, okay, I need a solution A today, and I'm going to let look, look at what is the solution going to, the least amount of cost to get to number A. And they might find a solution. However, with a quick changing, quickly changing environment, what they don't take into account is what if in six months, A is not the right product anymore? Right. How do I then throw everything away and move to B? So ingraining flexibility in your choices comes at a cost. Of course, it is an extra cost in your purchase today, but it's a huge opportunity for future work to be able to pivot and remain at the forefront of your digital transformation, not locking yourself in um, and allowing indeed that, that, that feedback loop with your users. I mean, think about the people that bought Cisco WebEx five years mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. the yeah. best in the market, telepresence. Now yeah. it's all about Teams and Zoom. Yeah. And those Cisco telepresence rooms, they, I mean, they throw them away, really. It's a huge investment. 
because people are like, you know what? Teams do need more of this and, and it's a different technology. Let's move on. And if you buy into a locked, closed technology, that is much more costly than the $200 you're going to save on the, on, on the other version you buy today. So conclusion, technology needs to be flexible and management needs to evaluate people and try to figure out a collaboration mode and evaluation mode based, based on output instead of input. Yeah, it it also, if you roll that through, it's not just, uh, it sounds like to me, it's not just that, you know, leaders need to be flexible, but this digital divide on both sides, right? So anyone who's coming together to work has to come with the idea that it's not a one and done game, that it is about a continuous learning. And Mm -hmm. how do we manage this kind of innate feeling of we need project, we need projects. We need a beginning, middle, and end in a world that basically I'm going to be continuously learning how to interact with technology so that I'm doing better in terms of my performance. It almost feels like there's a there's a shift happening in terms of how we think about expertise. It's not so much about maybe what I went to school for, but my expertise now is really going to be about how do I execute my ex- expertise through technology solutions. Yeah. Is, am I hearing that right? No, no, absolutely. I think the, the continuous learning or the idea of continuous is not new and certainly not linked to hybrid working. Right. But it's one that is 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 more and more, I mean, the awareness is more and more valid as things change so much and so rapidly that those that are not willing to keep on learning right. are just losing their jobs, to be honest, or losing their value and will have a shorter or less paid opportunity in the workforce. And I think that's something that the youngsters understand more than the establishment, let's say, because they come from a point where when you had a master's, that was okay for your career. Mm-hmm. And that's not longer the, 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 the term now. So I think, yeah, continuous education is a mindset. But again, the responsibility of the company is to reinforce that, to support it, by giving people time off to educate themselves, to give them people maybe a educational program within the organization to grow in their career or cross over to other functions. I think there was one, one well, funny, funny comment where the, I think, I think this, it's, it goes like something like this, that the CFO say, what if we invest in our people and they leave? Right. And the CEO says, yeah, what if we don't invest in the people and they stay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to consider. Yes, we are investing in our people. And if we do a really good job, people will stay with us because we help them, even if they might have a better opportunity financially, because we, we they know, they trust us that we invest in them as a human being. That is at some point more than the extra dollar. Yeah. And I, um, I think I, I even think, at least in my experience of experience, that we have to rethink even that piece of it. Because it has to be this dynamic interchange between the employee and the employer. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the employee has to take a far more ownership yeah. around directing what they need. So there's a whole level of self-awareness that I think we have to hold as part of the performance assessment of people to look at the talent to say, how how self-aware is the talent? So that are they coming to us and saying, hey, you know what? 
I heard about this technology. I heard about this new way, or I heard that this was coming down and I need to learn how to do this. And then how do I bring that back into the workplace to share that with other individuals, as well as companies or managers have to provide the opportunity Mm -hmm. for people Mm -hmm. to go and learn. And also in that learning, know that you may take a productivity hit in the early part as people are Mm -hmm. learning. But the goal is, what is the the level that is appropriate given every six months, every 12 months, every 18 months, we're going to be changing technology, changing the way things are done, thinking about it in a very different way of doing it. And that goes even down to customer service. So I yeah, think about retailers, absolutely. you know, and going I think, from in the handhelds. No, no, absolutely. And I think there's ultimately we're all managers of our own career. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. You need to, in this in the 70s, 80s, People were in a job for 20, 30, 40 years. And that was the mindset. I'm going to get this. I'm going to land this job and I'm going to be set for life. Honestly, today, when you talk to companies, they will already tell you that the younger generation, let's say now up to 30, 35, their careers look completely different. They change every two to three years based on how they feel. They take sabbaticals. They look at oh my, I'm going to travel the world because that's going to enrich my personal life. And so I think the younger generation is already on, 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 on board with that idea. The companies have to adapt to it. Yeah. Um, and I think that and the downside is that the managers that are on the top of the companies are still the guys that had their career for 30 years when they yeah. started in the 70s. Right, so right. they need to pivot and, and get to that, that, accept that younger generation to, to be able to do that. I think that's really the challenge that, that companies have to, to embrace it equally as the youngsters. Again, a good example, where I think a, a great example is Google under the, during, the, during the COVID period came out with an idea. I don't know if it's implemented yet or not, but about the workation. Mm-hmm. And basically what they said is that every employee would, would be allowed to one month a year work from anywhere in the world. Oh, there would wow. be minimum X hours, X hours a day right. and you had to work. But people could say, I'm on, I want to work a month from Italy, Rome, and that would be OK. And you wouldn't have to take holidays. So think about what that does to your workforce. They get to work, they get to learn another language and they come back and bring all that experience, that life experience, those different perspectives and feed it into your structure. It's like you're multiplying the you're enriching your whole company through the experiences of your workforce. Yeah. And that I think is, is where it ultimately needs to go. People, that strangely enough, I believe that the increase in technology yes. has reinforced the value of humanity. You know? Really? So yeah, yeah. What so- people bring, because technology is so available and it's right. so given, now the, the, the more value that people bring to, to increase the value of the technology, the more important you will be as a human being because typing on a computer, not needed anymore. Doing right. the standard stuff, not needed. What, what can you bring as a human being to this organization? I think that's the future for the younger, younger generation. So again, in this, in this mindset, hybrid working makes it all a little bit more human. Yeah, it's a great place. Great, great thinking. And, and I think this idea of the balance, but rebalancing this 
what I need to bring to the to the table, as well as what the, the opportunity that companies are going to give me, and and really taking ownership for my performance. I think that's the next level. That's the yeah. next iteration. It's not the new normal. We're not piling on what what was before or evolving mm-hmm. it, but it's really taking a step change to the next level yeah. in terms yeah. of what that looks like. So I can't believe it's we're at the end here. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. But I do want to I want to ask just one last question in terms of of all of this. You mentioned early on that you do the Iron Man. <laughs> the Iron Man, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I am always fascinated by people who say that that's what they decided. When you were first thinking about that, I mean, it generally is pretty daunting to think about the, the whole Iron Man and triathlon, etc. What was it that moved you from it was a concept in your head to a conviction that you're going to do it? You know, it doesn't go from zero to 101 day. It's just like a career. It's a process. You take one step at a time. You have, of, of course, you need to have a goal, and but you take one step at a time and be. And if you take small steps every day, at some point you're gonna you're gonna climb the mountain. And in my my case, it was starting with an Olympic triathlon, and then somebody challenging me competition so to speak to go to a half and then going to a full and i remember my first iron man and i i I always say iron man is like writing a good love letter right before you start you don't know how you're going to do it and after you've done it you have no idea how you did it and i think if you're if you write a love letter, it should be the same. You should go with passion and you write it down. And afterwards, you have no idea. But it, it came out in a, in, a, in a stream of consciousness. And an Ironman is the same. You start and afterwards, I, I still I, I still don't know sometimes how I arrive at the finish. And, and that's what it is. But you've trained. You've, you're not like education, but you, you continuously train your body every day to become better. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes at the right time, you know you can deliver. And I think that's the same with a career. You invest every day, small amounts, and they all come together when you're called upon to deliver. Maybe yeah. that's the nicest uh, comparison with my career. Then. <laughs> well, everyone I've talked to that does it has a different reason for doing it, but they all say the same thing you did. It's about these small steps. You set a goal, you hit the small steps, you move it, you're flexible, but you you have persistence and you keep doing it. And that is the es- it, and that is the essence of being in business. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, Glenn, how can people get a hold of you if they want to continue this conversation? Well, I would say they can either go to LinkedIn. That's the easiest way. Glenn Waston, I'm sure the link will come somewhere in the podcast. Yep. Or they can go to our management consulting website, which is greatmanagement.biz. And we can start a conversation from there. Great. Thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate you, it. And it for those mind. of you who have stuck around and, and heard this, you know what I'm going to say. If you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee that it will cause the conversation that will change who you are, change the dynamics, and you will learn something just in the conversation. And with that, you know, it's a wrap. See ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, If you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. 
And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.